if you think about it, we build in physical checkups into our schedule, right? We go to the doctor for annuals, physicals. We have to get mammograms and colonoscopies and all kinds of things that we kind of have a timeline to do. But emotional and mental health, we're just kind of on cruise control. We never check in. We don't have it in our schedule. We don't have it in our society. And I feel like that's a detriment, you know? And I feel like when we start to be intentional about those checkups, starting with ourselves first, obviously, but then in our families and our marriages and our companies, it's really going to start changing the norm, changing the dynamic, opening the doors for these type of important conversations to happen. Yeah, I'm looking to make it a little lighter. <laughs> Are we mutually aligned oh, right now? Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's, there's always two, two versions. <laughs> I mean, you're moving a little slow, but... Working I, I, really a- hard. <laughs> we will definitely talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Love your Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. We're here. We're doing season number three. Yeah, we're starting off the series here with Deborah Folletta. Yes, with well, 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 wellness. <laughs> yes. Basically, we're going to start this series with this idea of self-care, mm. wellness, healthy living. This is a huge deal right now. This is big. This yeah. is going to be really encouraging to everyone. I believe that deeply. Yes. And so today, Deborah Folletta, she is a licensed counselor and she has written a book called Are You Really Okay? And the book is out. We would encourage you to get this book. She has a podcast. It's a love and relationships podcast and it is called Love and Relationships. And then she has a couple of places you can find her, areyoureallyokay.com and truelovedates.com. Yeah, I think she does dating advice as well. I feel like you're really wanting to get into it. Like, what about our conversation? How are you doing? (laughs) Holding me back. Uh, Well, we are coming back from a break Hmm. that we had, and I'm feeling really good today. Oh, are you really... Okay. Okay. I am. I really am, actually. You really are. You're really doing good. I really am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Well, we're going to learn some things today. Yes. What are the three things we need to be listening for? Number one, emotional black and blue buttons. Oh, yeah. Number two, burnout. Hmm. And number three, Sunday night check-ins. Beautiful. Oh, boy. Feel like something's gonna be happening after this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have a. What are uh, we gonna have a Sunday all, night check-in? Yeah, all of a sudden Sunday night, you're gonna be like, you know what time it is? And I'm like, I have no idea. I feel what like that has like a about? double in time, and you know, like a. I don't know what you're insinuating there with that. One. I'm thinking of a different kind of check-in oh than I think go- what you're thinking of. So inappropriate. <laughs> I was just hoping to have an emotional connection. Okay. Well, I was thinking of more. 
So just always, kidding. always. This is what always happens. In no, yes. Andre takes it to the wrong direction. Right. We know who always wants to talk about sex. So this has that's nothing not to what we're talking about today, that, guys. That, yeah, we go. are not talking about that today. No. Today, again, Deborah Folletta, her book, Are You Really Okay? And uh, here we go. Let's listen in. So, Deborah, so many times we all say that we're okay when we're not really okay, which is essentially what your book is all about. And then we just ignore those feelings of knowing maybe we're not okay or thinking we're not okay, kind of push through them, ignore, do all those things. Yet we maybe deep down know that there's something not really okay. What are some of those things and ways that we would recognize that we're really not okay. And some of those warning signs that you would say, no, you should actually pay attention to these things. Yeah. I think the underlying problem first and foremost is that people assume they're okay. Hmm. So most of the people listening and most of the people that I talk to aren't coming to me saying, I'm not okay. Hmm. Most of them think they really are doing okay. Mm -hmm. until they're not. And what I mean by that is it's usually an all of a sudden, quote unquote, all of a sudden they feel like they've tapped out. They've Mm -hmm. burnt out. They're having a nervous breakdown, but it's not all of a sudden and it's been building up and they haven't recognized it. You know, human beings are kind of like a volcano. We have this pressure building up underneath the surface And it's pressure that comes with all these different emotions that we experience, but don't deal with in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. We don't express them. We don't acknowledge them. We don't name them or identify where they're coming from. Some of them are from the present. Some of them are from the past, Mm -hmm. like childhood wounds or stressors we've been through experiences. And then add to that what's happening in the present, our life, kids, work, like everything. Everything else, yeah. And then all of a sudden the emotional pressure starts to build up. And just like a volcano, it will eventually find the point of least resistance and you will find yourself having an emotional explosion. Mm -hmm. So for different people, that emotional explosion looks a little bit different. For me, it was in the form of panic attacks unexpectedly. Uh, For other people, it's depression or withdrawal or apathy or lack of motivation or anger and rage or relationship problems or addictions. Mm. But the point is that if we're not going underneath the surface before we think we're not okay, Mm. it's going to happen to all of us at some point. So we've got to stay on top of it. You know, my hope for today's conversation is that it will help people realize, okay, even though I feel okay, am I really okay? Right. I've got to start digging a little bit deeper and answering some of those hard questions. Is this part of kind of a, a story you've lived out? Is there is there a truth in this that you had to figure out for your own life? Yeah, you know, I'm a licensed counselor, so it's not abnormal for me to interact with people. I mean, I work with CEOs. I work with high-capacity people all the time in my counseling office, and then I would consider myself overall pretty healthy as a person, right? Don't we all? We all think of ourselves as a little better than we <laughs> Healthier are. Healthier than actually, we are, yeah. Actually, let me 
pause there. I'll hit pause on this story to tell you that there was a social study where they asked people to rate themselves on a scale. How good are you at A, B, and C? How, how moral are you? How kind are you compared to your peers? How about your driving? Are you a good driver? Like all of these different things, right? And the majority of people rated themselves as better than average. If you know math, you know that can't be accurate. Yeah, the majority well, no. of people. I will say, if you compared your your partner in driving, if you oh want to add that gosh. to it, I have <laughs> a feeling. In front of the counselor, starting a fight in front of the counselor. Here we go. Right. I know this is starting to turn into a counselor. This is great. The majority thought they were better than average. So then the the researchers, the sociologists said, well, maybe this is a socioeconomic status thing. Maybe people of higher, you know, financial place rate themselves as better than average or people who are more successful or educated. Let's bring this study into the prison system and see what prisoners would say. Hmm. So they asked prisoners the same questions. Sure enough, the prisoners rated themselves as better than average in comparison to their non-prisoner peers. Like they're better, you Hmm. know, I'm pretty moral. I'm pretty good. I'm a great driver. So it just goes to show you that human nature is to think of ourselves as better than we are. So then here comes me. I'm a counselor. I know what I'm doing. I handle panic attacks and depression. And like, this is my world. But counselors are not immune to mental health struggles, just like doctors aren't immune to getting sick, you Mm. know? And so I went through my own personal trauma a few years back. About five years ago, I went through a traumatic miscarriage. So my husband and I were expecting baby number four. And I went in for a routine appointment. While I was in that appointment, I find out that I'm having a miscarriage. And then within minutes, I start severely hemorrhaging just out of nowhere and was literally minutes away from losing my life. So the doctor put me in a wheelchair and literally ran with me. I remember her. I remember every detail of that day to this day. Like, you know, when you go through trauma, every detail is etched in my brain She ran with me down the hall into the emergency area where they started emergency surgery to prevent me from bleeding out to the point of death. She told me I was minutes away from dying. So you go home after surgery and you have kids at home. I, I work, I'm a counselor, I'm a mom. We homeschool on top of it. I'm a podcaster, I'm an author. My husband works, you know, like you go back to life and it's not that I didn't deal with that trauma because I did. I felt like I acknowledged the loss. I shared it with people, but trauma healing needs to happen in layers. It's not just this once and done experience, right? Mm. And usually the next layers of healing happen later on in life when life is safe and secure. Mm. It's like time for another layer of healing. Just like when a soldier goes off to war they're not dealing with symptoms of PTSD on the battlefield. It's when they get home and and life is safe and secure. That's when it starts to come back up. And that's essentially what happened to me. You know, a few years later, life was safe and secure. And I experienced my first panic attack. My body was basically saying, you've got more to deal with here. You know, there is some trauma, some feelings, some loss, some fears, 
that you haven't fully dealt with. Mm -hmm. And I started experiencing my own season of panic attacks. Hmm. I'm sure you'll unpack more of that with us as the episode goes on. But let's say, because a lot of people listening to this are in relationships, committed long-term relationships, or desire to be in committed long-term relationships. What if there's someone that is really close to you? It could be your husband, wife. It could be someone you're dating. It could be, it could be your mother. I don't know. That it seems like it's always easier to identify mental health concerns in your friend or your close person than in yourself, maybe. Sure. Uh, but what if they don't see that in themselves? And you love this person, you care very deeply. What advice do you have in that in-between space? Because that was truthful. I mean, uh, in our story, I mean, that was some things I was really wrestling through about two years ago. And Andre probably saw it in me before I did. Um, thankfully, I, I recognized it and really asked for help. But how would you guide someone in that space? Well, you definitely are right in saying that it is easier to identify it in others than it is in ourselves. And so I think sometimes the conversation can start with ourselves to make it a little bit easier. Because mm -hmm. if you are approaching your spouse and saying, I think you are struggling with A, B, and C, mm -hmm. usually what that's going to do is put their defensive mode on. They're going to be like, no, I'm not. I'm fine. You know, who are you to say what I'm struggling with? So I think the best way is to build in these conversations in our marriage on a regular basis where we're both sharing how we're doing, what we're struggling with. You know, every Sunday night, my husband and I sit down for what we call our Sunday night check-ins. And we've been married for 14 years now. And so you learn along the way that you've got to do this to stay in touch, to stay healthy, to, to be accountable with how you're doing. And we each take turns sharing how we're doing emotionally, spiritually, mentally, as parents in our marriage. It's not me going to him and saying, hey, John, you need to change A, B, and C. I think you're struggling with X, Y, and Z. It's me saying, okay, here's what I'm bringing to the table. And then he brings his stuff to the table mm -hmm. and we can share and talk and plan and help each other. So when you go from zero to a hundred, not having these conversations and then trying to have these conversations can be tricky. So I think the key is sharing how you're doing and then asking good, genuine, sincere questions of, as to how they're doing rather than accusing, rather than being critical, rather than pointing out what you think is going on. A good question to start with is, Hey, are you really okay? Are you doing all right in this season? You know? Is there something I can help you with? I'd love to hear um, what's been stressful in your life. What are you excited about these days? You know, how are you doing? Like, do we actually stop? We, we see our spouses on the daily, right? And sometimes we get so used to that routine, that mundane of the roles we play, driving kids around, doing this and that, dishes, dinner. But how often do you stop and check in with your spouse? You know, I think it has to start there. Yeah, I think in a lot of times, I know I've struggled with this, but maybe those people who might be like me that kind of power through things or push through circumstances, because it might be hard now, but if I just get through this, like kind of that idea. But I also often say sometimes this thing, I don't want them to think X, Y, Z. I don't want him to think I can't handle this or I'm too weak for this or something like that. And then I stay quiet, I would say. How could we break out of that trap? Like, you know, I know you're saying just having the conversations, but 
I think there's fear in that sense of like those parts that we really are kind of hiding from people. Yeah. 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 And this is, this is where the counseling part comes into it. This is why my hope is that when someone's reading this book, they don't feel like they're just reading a book, but they feel like they're actually experiencing a one-on-one counseling session because mm. getting to the roots of those beliefs yeah. are what's going to help us. Let's say somebody comes to me and says, I'm struggling because I'm worried that my spouse is going to think I'm not good enough, mm. you know, so I don't want to share. Well, instead of giving them practical advice on how to share, then my question would be, well, let's get to the root of why you think that. Right. Why do you really think that? Is that something you struggle with? Is that an underlying belief that you're afraid to be somebody who can't handle it? Someone who's not good enough, somebody who isn't able, like, let's get to the root of that. Where did that come from? How long have you struggled with that insecurity? Could it be something from your childhood that you've kind of carried with you today? I was working with a couple once and every time they got into an argument, it kind of turned into an explosion. And usually the pattern was she would point something out that he needed to change or do or help with. And he would like freak out. Why are you such a nag? Leave me alone. You don't think I can get anything done on my, I'm not a child. And he would just lose it. Mm-hmm. Right. So they were, they came in, they're like, listen, we, we need some communication issues. He is just raging and I don't know what to do. He calls me a nag. What do we do here? So him and I start digging deep and, and imagine with me, this guy, he's like bald, full of tattoos, super strong. Like he's not the typical, like you imagine him in counseling kind of guy. And we start digging a little bit deeper to some of those roots. And it turns out that every time she tells him to do something, it triggers something in him. I call these our emotional black and blue buttons because they're already sore spots. And then when someone touches them, they hurt even more than usual, like, because there's something there. Well, for him, he had grown up with a father who was my way or the highway kind of dad, like nothing he did ever felt good enough for his dad. Mm -hmm. And finally at age 16, they had a a really bad fight and he left home and he hadn't, hadn't looked back since. And he had kind of had a strained relationship with his dad, but he grew up with this belief that he wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And now his wife is saying, Hey, could you do that? Could you do this? And it's making him feel like she thinks he's not good enough, mm-hmm. but really it's not what she's saying. It's his underlying beliefs about mm-hmm. himself. And that's what we're talking about right now. Sometimes these underlying beliefs keep us from sharing. Mm-hmm. You know, we feel like we have to present a certain way for a certain reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Now I could go all over the place. Yeah, I want to shift gears a little bit. Instead of thinking about like a husband, thinking about it like like I have a team, and I mean a lot of these. It's fun that you're. Are you really okay? Like I've said that to people on my team multiple times over the years. Which, on a personal level, like I I work with people that are my friends. You know, like yeah, we, we you know you care, care genuinely care about each other. It's not like some corporate environment. You know, it's it's like people. It's people working together that genuinely care with about each other. Well, so then you start asking, well, are you really okay? And then you're starting, like, I'm starting to see the mental health conversation become more and more prevalent. And, and I want to have that open dialogue with friends and teammates and all that kind of stuff. But then there's like this fine line, like, okay, well, 
at some point you got to get your work done. So like, how do you like, you know, balance as like a, a leader, whatever team that looks like that combination of empathy and also yeah. like, you still got, we still have work we have to do here. I, I'm feeling that commonly as I kind of get into those deeper friendships in the workplace. Totally. And there's a time and place for conversations like this. You know, they require us to be present, to have time, to be intentional. So like even me as a counselor, I run into the same issue. I'm in the grocery store. Someone stops me. They want to talk. And I'm like, "Uh, I got to get my groceries. Like, I can't be a counselor all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're dealing with a similar thing. It's like you want to dig in and and be there, but you literally cannot do that all the time. But I think the key is carving out the time and space for these conversations in your company, Mm -hmm. making sure that there are built in times to check in, whether that be an after hours work hangout or even part of a, a work assessment that's built into their routine, you know, a monthly check-in. How are you doing emotionally? How's your family? What's going on? How are you with the company? How's the work environment? And how's that impacting your stress and your home life? Do you feel like you need more boundaries around your work life? Like, let's talk about how you're really doing. So when that stuff is kind of built into the way that we do life, it will accomplish so much more. If you think about it, we build in physical checkups into our schedule, right? We go to the doctor for annuals, physicals. We have to get mammograms and colonoscopies and all kinds of things that we kind of have a timeline to do. But emotional and mental health, we're just kind of on cruise control. We never check in. We don't have it in our schedule. We don't have it in our society. And I feel like that's a detriment, you know? And I feel like when we start to be intentional about those checkups, starting with ourselves first, obviously, but then in our families and our marriages and our companies, it's really going to start changing the norm, changing the dynamic, opening the doors for these type of important conversations to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about when we first started about our audience, that they are a lot of them business owners trying to do it all, have families, stay married, work hard and do it all. Yeah. And the first thing you said, well, that sounds like a recipe Recipe for for burnout. burnout. Yeah. (laughs) So first of all, how about you educate us on burnout and what that technically means specifically? And then what are signs? What are symptoms? What are things that we should be aware of and think about with burnout? I think that the only ingredient you need for burnout is the belief that you can do it all. Hmm. Because I really don't think you can do it all. I don't think we were wired to do it all. I think that's kind of our society's expectation. I think we can do some things and we can do them really well. And I think we can do things in seasons. But to do it all, all the time, really well, like that's not possible for anybody. And if you think somebody's doing that, they're not telling you the truth. Because there is some area where you're not going to be able to function well. And maybe that's at the neglect of your mental health. Maybe that's at the neglect of your marriage or your business or your finances or whatever. But you can't actually do it all and you shouldn't. But you should be able to do what's most important, what you're called to do, 
you know, and that's kind of the motto that we have in our family. Like you can't do it all, but you can do what you can do today. You can't do it all at the same time, (laughs) you know, like there's gotta be balance and boundaries. In fact, I would say over the past few years, my husband and I, our favorite word is no. And maybe that sounds mean, but we are no people because we've realized that there's so many opportunities and so little time. And then the older you get, you realize that your emotional capacity is limited. Like I don't have the emotional capacity to do everything everyone wants me to do. So things like, for example, I'll just give you examples of what that looks like in our family. There's boundaries around my work life from Thanksgiving to New Year's. I'm not doing any work. I'm focusing on Advent, on our family, on the holidays. Another example is our kids are only allowed to be involved in one thing per season at the most. So we're not rushing around to soccer, then volleyball, then lessons, then dance, then horseback riding. Like, uh uh-uh, it is just one thing that you focus on in this season and you do it really well. Because I also feel like we're teaching them what boundaries look like and, and what it means to focus on a few things and do them well, rather than many things and feel like you're not doing anything really well. So because we live in such a grind society, you know, climb the ladder, achieve uh, hustle. I think a lot of times we overdo it and we continue to overdo it until we start feeling slammed. And that means you're like, you should have stopped a long time ago when you get to that point, you know? So the actual burnout feeling is really past where you should have exactly. already recognized Exactly. It. Like the signs and signals, but now you're in it, you're yeah. burnt out. And some things you're going to notice when you're in burnout or nearing burnout, your emotions begin to change. You, you become overwhelmed more easily or irritable at people more easily. Like, have you ever been in a season where you just find yourself extra frustrated at your kids? It's not like your kids have changed because kids are kids, right? They're always going to have that underlying irritability as you're parenting them. But now all of a sudden you've got these intense emotional reactions to them. You're freaking out more often at your spouse. You feel overwhelmed at the tasks of the day. You're losing motivation. You can't concentrate as well. You're starting to sleep really choppy. Like you're not getting a good night's rest anymore. I mean, there are signs that are actually physical in that sense. Sores, achiness, headaches. So many of us have these underlying physical reactions but they're really stress underneath the surface because stress impacts our bodies. In fact, research shows that people who have higher stress actually respond more poorly to vaccinations. People who have higher stress actually heal their physical wounds slower than people who don't have as much stress. So it just goes to show you the power of stress and how it actually impacts our physical body. So you'll start seeing physical signs. Maybe these headaches that you're having are a signal that something's going on underneath the surface. I really like your recipe for burnout is the belief that you can do it all. So you were sharing in that early story, you have four children, you're doing homeschooling, you have your practice, you wrote a book. She's a podcast. I'm going to keep going. All the, (laughs) like, it seems like you're doing it all. How do you keep up with all this? Well, a couple things. Part of it is finding balance in our marriage. So as my workload increased, 
my husband's workload decreased. So he works three days a week full time. I work two days a week full time. And we kind of tag team in between. We bring in help when we need it. I have people cleaning my house at least once a month. You know, I I budget some of my income for those things. I taught my kids to do laundry at a young age so that they could be part of the chores and the ritual and the routine. You know, all these kind of things. We we have very limited friends. (laughs) Like we have just like literally three friend groups, three couples, three families that we really invest in. And everybody else kind of falls to the wayside. If it happens, it happens, but it's not intentional and and deliberate. So you have to let some things go in order to be able to do a few things well. And for me, when I'm in book writing season, I'm not in podcast recording season. I kind of compartmentalize and chunk my time. So I do podcast recordings for a season. Then I do book writing for a season and I have limited counseling sessions a week. Right now, my counseling sessions are closed because I can't take any more clients. So I close them and I have a waiting list. I'm not going to try to cram everybody in just because I feel obligated to do it, you know? So you just have to set limits around your life and what you can do. Even the deadlines that come in, if I can't meet a deadline because I see that, oh, this isn't going to be possible. I let my publishing company know, listen, this isn't going to work for me. Yeah. So, so just setting boundaries around your life and almost becoming religious about boundaries and how yeah. important they are. You see them as the rules, the lines that you draw around your family, around yourself to kind of protect yourself, to keep the good things in and the harmful things out. I see so many entrepreneurial people with those intentions. But then there's like, oh, but there's this one deal. I could pay off this debt. There's this one. It's the, it's my friend. I can't say no to my friend. It's, you know, it, and there's like, <laughs> it's amazing. How we allow. The self-justifying. It's so true. Right? It's yeah. so true. Well, well, this is one of the things I talk about in Are You Really Okay? You can't just start saying no unless you get to the root of your yes. Why do I feel compelled to say yes so often? Is it fear of rejection? Is it fear of missing out? Mm-hmm. You know, is it like what is underlying my yes? Is it I just want to be accepted by people? And, you know, or is it I actually think I can do it all? Like I don't know my limits. Because underneath every yes, there's a root, there's a reason that we're compelled to say yes. And until we get to the bottom of that, It's going to be really hard to change the narrative, you know, but we also have to realize that every time we're saying yes, we're actually saying no to something and it's, it's just out of our control. So when I say yes to that extra meeting in the evening, I'm saying no to quality time with my family at dinner. You know, when I say yes to the friends getting together and I feel obligated to go, but I'm actually really tired and I'd rather nap, I'm saying no to my sleep and my rest and my physical health. So you either have control of your no, or you don't have control over it in just saying yes to so many different things because it's an automatic no to other things. Yeah. I feel like in the freelance world, it's like this truth that people believe that probably is not actually true. A myth. A myth is that, well, I have to take this project 
because I don't know when the next one's going to happen. So like they think like there's a season of I have to say yes to all this while the fire's burning because you don't know when it's going to end, you know? And I think that I, I hear that a lot in our space. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably the truth is it's kind of like that scarcity mentality mm-hmm. of I don't know if there's going to be enough. Yes. I yeah. have to plan ahead. I yes. have to think ahead. And honestly, it doesn't matter if you're freelance job or not. I think so many of us can fall into that trap. Like, oh, I've got to do this while my kids are young. Yes. Oh, I've got to do this while I have energy before I retire. Oh, I've got to do this while dot, 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 dot. And you're right. We do justify it. And it's okay to to enjoy life and to have fun and to take on projects every now and again, as long as we are constantly checking in with how we're doing, what we can handle. How is our family? How is my marriage? How is my mental and emotional health? Because that's going to be the sign and signal. Can I handle more mm. or not? It's mm, good. All right. I have talked to a lot of people about self-care and those types of things. And I think that there's this line between self-care and like escapism. And it's kind of hard, right? That line, like what is really truly self-care versus what is just like, shutting down emotions and escaping into la la land or whatever it is that you're doing. What would you say that you see and that is actually truly helpful for self-care versus something that would be more escapism? Like how could we figure that out? The tricky part about that question is that they can look exactly the same from the outside. Mm -hmm. So for example, Somebody who will say my self-care routine involves Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a fine self-care routine, you know, especially for people who work with their brain a lot. Like you should kind of do the opposite of that for your self-care. Yeah. Like I actually went through a season where I just couldn't read books anymore because I was reading so much for work and and for my clients and for books and whatever that I just like reading became a chore. It yeah. wasn't self-care anymore, even though I love to read. So what is the difference between somebody who wants to veg and watch Netflix as self-care and somebody who is just binge watching Netflix and just not dealing with anything in their life? Yeah. I think the sign to that will be when you look around at your world and you see, are my relationships in a good place? Is my relationship with my kids in a good place? Is there any conflict at work? Do I have underlying stress that I haven't dealt with? depression I haven't dealt with because when you have those things going on, but you're vegging, that is escapism. You know, I don't want to deal. So I'm going to veg. I don't, I don't, I want to occupy my mind. So I'm not going to have time to just sit and think while I'm driving in the car. I'm just going to turn on music. I don't want to think about it. I just want to keep stuffing it. Mm -hmm. And so really a lot of times just by looking out and looking in, And answering those simple questions, we can find out if we're actually just escaping. And usually, you know, when you're escaping, because you're running from something, when you're running from something, you usually know what it is, whether or not you want to acknowledge it, you know? Mm -hmm. So to really ask yourself those check-in questions will give you a good answer to to what you're doing. The other thing about self-care too, is you want to make sure that it's balanced and things that are actually nurturing you and filling you up. So self-care isn't just a vegetative state. Mm -hmm. Self-care is actually doing the things that nourish me and fill me up. 
in my life. So whether that's exercise, whether that's journaling, whether that's a good meal with friends, what are the things that actually fill me up? Not just things that cause you to just veg, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I just need to veg. So like there's Jeff. moments, it's funny, like sometimes I, I totally agree. I usually know that I am putting something off, but like sometimes I'm like, maybe that's just what I need tonight. Like, no, totally. Right? Sometimes it is what you need. I think it's it's important it's for vegging to be a part of your, your ritual. Mm. But when that's like all, all it ever is, yeah. sure. that's like, when there's like, well, you know, what's going on here? So let's say you're in a relationship, just a friendship. And you ask this question, are you really okay? So part of the asking that question is personal. We need to ask ourselves that. And then also potentially asking others. And they acknowledge they're not okay. Then what is your responsibility for that person? Because, I mean, I've seen, it's interesting. I've seen people, I've been this for people where I'm like, okay, well, what do you need? You know, do you need a counselor? Do you need a therapist? Do you, and to the point where you end up, doing all the you set them up for their work and then they don't really take it that seriously yeah well who's responsible in that moment is it the person that asked or is it the person that is having some self-evaluation well when it comes to responsibility it's always the person who is standing alone that needs to be responsible for their own stuff mm -hmm. that's just the bottom line you can't change anybody you can't motivate anybody, but you can be there to support them. So are you really okay? And they say, no, I'm actually not. Well, I think the next follow-up question, like you said, is, okay, what do you need from me? How can I help you in this season? And hear what they have to say. Maybe it's, you know, I could really use a little help with the kids right now, or I, I could use prayer. I could use, it'd be great if you checked in with me every now and again, you know, a text. Uh, most, most of the time they probably will say, I'm not sure, you know? And if that's the answer, I would say, think about it and get back to me mm. because then you're putting it on them to think about what they need and what's helpful for them. But again, you have to be careful too. You need to set boundaries around your life. You can't be the person to save everybody. And if you're automatically jumping in and doing more work than they're doing, then there's a good chance that you have to question your own intentions. Why am I doing that? Why do I feel like I have to be the one to save them? Why do I have to be the one to be the hero and fix the situation? Because even that shows me a boundary deficit when somebody goes that far where they're doing more work than the person that they asked. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful to be supportive members, but not enabling members. I'm not doing the work for you but I'm going to help you get there. You know, I want to be there for you. I want to check in and see how you're doing. Refer you to a list of counselors. I'm not going to pick up the phone and call for you, but hey, here's some great next steps. Here's what's worked for me, you know, and, and be present and loving and caring, but not enabling. I like that. All right. I'm going to ask this last question. We say this a lot, this idea about the me and the we and how I often say that a healthy me will lead to a stronger we. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that means for you and how you see that even in your practice and with relationships around you that you talk to today? Yeah, that is music to my ears <laughs> because it is so true. You know, healthy people make healthy relationships. That is my tagline at my blog and my podcast and everything I do. And, you know, 
the past few years, I have really focused on relationships. I'm a relationship focused therapist. So my first three books were all relationship focused, but my, the key is always, how do you get healthy first? Because your health impacts the whole, your health impacts the entirety of your relationship. So that's why this book is so important for me because I'm really zooming in on the healthy people part. You know, you attract and engage with people based on your personal level of health. When people come to me for marriage counseling, they're usually surprised that one of the first things I do is separate them and talk to them each individually about how they're doing and what they can work on. It's like, well, wait, this isn't my marriage. Why are you putting it back on me? But the most efficient marriage counseling works when we are taking responsibility of our own junk first. And I would say that same thing applies to life in general. You know, whenever there's a conflict or a stress point, it's like, what is my role here? If you have no role in a situation, you also have no control. So you can't change it if you have no role. So taking that responsibility is actually empowering because it's like, if I have some responsibility here, I can actually do something. I'm not a passive victim. I'm not a bystander. I can make change here because I have a role. What's my role? What do I need to do differently? And so I love that statement and it's so true. And the best relationships I have seen are people who actually live that out. Becoming a healthy me impacts the we in in general. That's 100% accurate. I'm thankful that you're bringing this content out to the world. I mean, I, it's made a big impact on my life. Digging into this personally and collectively as a couple, I think it's really, really important. My last question for you, you know, I think it relates to going back to like in relationship. I just have so many friends right now who are in a committed relationship and one person is not in a healthy place. Yeah. You know, and we've given this advice to them, like you can only control yourself. You can, you know, you, you need to get healthy yourself. Do you have any words of encouragement for that person right now if they're in it with this person that they love and the other person is not in that same place with them? Yeah. First and foremost, what you said is true. We're connected to people, especially in the marriage context. Let me caveat by saying I probably would give different advice if we're talking about marriage, dating, or friendship, but Hmm. let's start with marriage. Yeah you're in that relationship for life. But as you begin to change, it changes the dynamic of the relationship because now you've changed one of the ingredients, Mm -hmm. you know? So that changes the entire thing as a whole when you've changed one of the ingredients, which is you. And we're not just talking about being nice and kind and forgiving and being sweet and loving. Maybe for you, change means putting up more boundaries, having higher expectations, communicating what you need instead of being a passive bystander, right? So it's not just change in, I'm just going to keep taking it and not asking for things to be different. No, I'm going to set boundaries and say, listen, I need this to change in our relationship, you know, because boundaries are such an important part of a healthy marriage, you know, and those, those expectations of what you want to see changed. And, and not confusing selflessness with passivity. Sometimes people think they're being mm-hmm. selfless, mm-hmm. but they're actually being passive and it's causing damage to the relationship. So speaking up, saying what you need in a healthy way, you know, mm-hmm. 
Now, when we're talking about dating and friendships, I think it's also important to acknowledge those same boundaries. But what happens when you set up boundaries in, a, in, in dating and friendship is that those boundaries can start showing you that this relationship isn't actually healthy for you, you know? And sometimes that means realizing that I need to put some space between me and this person because they're not changing. They're not acknowledging their role and responsibility. So my role is to step back and change my expectations of this friendship, change my expectations of this dating relationship instead of just keep continuing to do my role and end up in this one-sided thing where I'm not getting anything back, you know? So, so really taking inventory of the health of the relationship, because sometimes at the end of the day, you have to set more boundaries, have better expectations, be more honest. And that's your role in helping the relationship as a whole get healthier. And now it's time for the breakdown. What you got, babe? What's your takeaways here? Because all the people want to know. (laughs) Are you really okay? When she gave that definition of burnout, just that belief that you can do it all. And that false narrative that we can do it all, all the time and do it well. That Mm. is the truth. We can't. And then when she went into like our emotional capacity Mm -hmm. as we get older is even more limited, I thought was so interesting because I even have friends right now that are younger and they're in their 20s and 30s and all of a sudden, and they have all of these friends that they've had, you know, since college and high school and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden they're like, I can't do this anymore. I can't have all, you know, these friends. And it's like, even those things is becoming more limited. Our time is becoming more limited as we get older. We really have to be a little bit more careful and curative of those things, like curating our time, curating like the relationships and the things that are meaningful to us Mm -hmm. because we don't have as much of an emotional capacity in that way. And if you don't, it leads to burnout. Yeah, I mean, I think that the premise she talked about, that people normally assume that they are okay. Yeah. That was an interesting concept. And the challenge for me of of blocking time to check in with people that I really care about on an emotional state, mm. I think is, a, is an actionable thing for me. Yeah. Because um, I think there's some people in my life right now that I know they've shared with me challenges of their emotional state that are continuous. It could be they may have anxiety. They may have just different forms of mental health issues and they've confided with me in that stuff. And I need to make sure that I can respond back to them, give time and space to check in with them. I think that's a really healthy thing. Yeah. I also think, you know, especially with COVID and a lot of coming out of this, the difference that she kind of talked about, about self-care versus escapism. And that when we're talking about self-care and also during this whole, you know, season that we're talking right now is just this idea of what are the things that nourish and fill me up? Mm. And then versus escapism, which it can easily be a tricky line to go into just not wanting to deal with things, yeah. which 
I think COVID was the <laughs> season of that sure. in a lot of ways, right? Like there was so much going on and trauma in our world and everything that it was uprooting and bringing up that in some ways, so many of us fell into a lot of escapism and just not wanting to deal. But now we're in this newer stage and phase and coming out and of that time. And I think, you know, we're going to have to start dealing in a positive and constructive way and getting into that, you know, nourishing and filling ourselves up with healthy, positive things. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, like, uh, relationally, if we actually took the time to check in with one another consistently Mm. with focus for five minutes, whatever, a few times every day, Mm. and we're like, hey, how are you? Are you doing okay today? Like, really check in on an emotional state with the person that you love the most, how long that would have paybacks, right? Like, how much change would that put in your pocket? How much... Would that fill somebody up? Yeah. How much would that fill someone up? And the person that you want to fill up, how much would that give them? Mm. That's beautiful. Well, Well, she said, healthy people make healthy relationships. Mm. And I think that is the key to this whole season that we're kind of heading into. What a great way to start, huh? And I would love for everybody to just keep that in mind as we go through every podcast and listen in with us. And we're going to kind of hit on lots of different subjects, but it all goes into the individual health of each other makes the healthy whole of us together as well. Well, that's another episode of Love or Work. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.